Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today brings us to Psalm 69, to the choir master, according to lilies, of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal, must I now restore? O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord Yahweh of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Yahweh. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Yahweh, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies." You know my reproach, and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those whom you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. 
This will please Yahweh more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive, for Yahweh hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. This is the word of the Lord. So we have another one of David's hymns in the Old Testament written for us, according to lilies that would seem to be something like a tune uh, for which the choir master would know to have the choir perform the piece. It's a prayer for the Lord to deliver him from his enemies. And in many spots, it seems like a prayer that we could very fittingly pray today. Now, in fairness, the Psalms are the hymn book, the prayer book of the Old Testament church. So as they could sing them, we could sing them. So I don't say that to mean that we can't pray the whole thing. We certainly can. But there are parts of it that I think will resonate very closely to how many Christians feel. Certainly throughout the world, but even in the changing landscape of our own culture today. Save me, O God. I mean, that's an easy start. Thanks be to God, he has saved us through Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, who has rescued us from sin, death, and the devil. That's a way we can certainly take a look at this psalm. The waters have come up to my neck. A picture of being about to drown if the water rises any higher. David is stuck. He is sunk. There is no place to put his feet to lift himself up. And he's been crying for God to save him. His throat is parched from his cries, from shouting for so long. His eyes have grown dim waiting for God. Life in this world certainly feels that way. Whether it's persecution that a Christian faces, again, as it is in many places in the world, or if it is simply the battle against sin, death, and the devil that each and every one of us faces every day, and that's not just the Christian. Every person faces sin, death, and the devil every day. They are raging against us. And it can feel like this. Like we're drowning, like there's no way out, like we are going to lose the fight. And we cry to God, we pray, we turn to him, and we wait And death seems to be right upon our door as we continue to wait. This is also the picture of waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Many, many eyes have grown dim waiting for Christ's return. Uh, That that is a reference to death, by the way, for the eyes to grow dim. It's old age, the eyesight failing. Verse 4, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. It's true also today. There is no cause for the hatred that many Christians face. And I say that, and I mean it, although Jesus told us it was coming. Jesus promised us this. And so this phrase in verse 4 is actually going to be cited in John chapter 15, verse 25, 
The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause in reference to Jesus. But I would also take you for the purpose of this whole psalm, specifically verse 9, zeal for your house consume me. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Take you a little earlier in John 15 to verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So I would say that that is without cause for the world's hatred of the Christian. It is not for any good reason. It is not justly deserved hatred. But Jesus said it was coming. And I guess you could say there is a reason, because Jesus chose us, because Jesus called us his own. We are no longer the world's own, and so they hate us. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. I mean, it's the devil's lie, and it's the world's rebellion, and there is strength there. The community could turn against me at any moment. A church could be attacked, as they are in some places, bulldozed, as they are in China these days. Or my neighbors in my neighborhood could turn against me. They could burn my home to the ground. They have such power. The devil is fighting harshly against the church. He wants to see us killed. The end of verse 4, David says, What I did not steal must I now restore. A hard phrase here. It's as though David believes he must give over to his enemies the things that God has rightly given to him. So he didn't steal this kingdom away from another man. God gave it to him, entrusted it to him to care for it. This does seem a bit like our culture, and it's a bit of a stretch of a connection here, but the whole push over the last few years for reparations to be made, that even though you or your family may not have stolen from another, many of our lawmakers and many of the voices in the culture were crying out that you should have to pay money to these other people, money that, again, you didn't take. And even if it was generations before you, which in many of these cases it wasn't, of these conversations, the Lord has entrusted what you have to you. Now, you can be generous. You can give it away. And that is good to do. But much like David here, feeling forced to do it is no longer generosity. It is no longer really what the Christian does. Love your neighbor care for those around you. Verse 5 is kind of a confession. God, you know my folly, the wrongs I've done are not hidden from you. David admits he's done wrong, but he doesn't seek forgiveness there. A bit of a foreign concept, I think, within the Lutheran mind. We confess our sin and we ask God to forgive it. 
but instead he, he immediately seeks the protection of God's people after this, recognizing that David has been put to shame, David has been dishonored, but Lord, let not your people be put to shame and be dishonored. So even though David suffers, whatever it is he's going through as he writes this hymn, he prays that the people would not share in that, that God would protect them through it all. For your sake I have borne reproach. The Lutheran Study Bible takes that as a note about David confessing his sin, that he is being punished for his sin. I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case. David bears reproach in his role as king sometimes for God's sake, as he cares for God's people, bears reproach from the enemy, bears reproach from within as his own son, Absalom, attempts to take the throne. He's mocked and made fun of by the nations. That is a reproach David suffers for the Lord's sake as he cares for God's people. So I'm not sure what angle David's getting at with verse 7 in particular, but he has... Verse 8, become a stranger to his brothers, alien to his mother's sons. Might be worth teaching your kids what the word alien actually means. It's not little green guys from somewhere on outer space. It means foreign. So an alien is someone who's not from your community. If they come to you from another state, they're an alien. David has been alienated from his own brothers. This, again, could be a reference to his role as king. The brothers don't live in Jerusalem. The brothers live away. Not far. But David has left his father's house. He has left the land of his father's. His inheritance. To go serve God's kingdom. Zeal for your house has consumed me. So David's care and concern for God's house and the faith, the faith of the people of Israel too, perhaps. But this is cited in John chapter 2, verse 17, as the disciples watch Jesus cleanse the temple. This is mentioned, Jesus' zeal for his father's house. And again, the reproaches of those who reproach you fallen on me from John 15, verses 18, 19. Not cited there, but you can see the picture there. Jesus promised such things. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. The rest of this paragraph is about David being mocked by others in repentance. So he's repenting of his sin. He's turning to the Lord. and They're scoffing at him. Sitting in the gate, those are the elders of a city that are making the plans for business and the welfare of the people. And instead, they're, they're taunting David. He's the local gossip. The drunkards make songs about him. Those aren't going to be good songs. Then verse 13, this is one of the, the strong paragraphs, the spot where we might spend time on together as a family today. As for me, my prayers to you, O Yahweh, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your faithfulness. At an acceptable time, O God, 
Maybe ask your children, does God have to answer our prayers when we want and the way we want? David rightly acknowledges here that God's will is God's will, and what will be done in this world is God's will, not mine. As we see Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal, God answers prayer. David knows that the Lord plans to save his people, and so David prays that God will be faithful to his promise that God will save him at whatever time the Lord believes to be right. I've said it before, I even preached it a few weeks ago, I have no idea, no idea why 27, 28, 29 A.D. was the right time. The acceptable time for God to save us by Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. I don't know. Other than it was God's time. He chose it. And thus it is good. But he does answer. And in his steadfast love or his covenant faithfulness or his mercy or loyalty or however you want to translate that word, he has answered He has answered David's prayer. He has answered our prayer. He has saved us. He has delivered us by the blood of his own son. Verses 16 through 18, I think, are again part of that prayer that all of us could pray at any time. Answer me, O Yahweh, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. Doesn't it sound like a prayer you could pray? Doesn't it sound like a prayer we could each pray every day? Again, such is the nature of the Psalms. They are the prayer book, the hymn book of the early church, and they can do the same for us. As we pray that God would rescue, save us, deliver us from our enemies, which primarily we talk about today as being sin, death, and the devil. Because even earthly enemies aren't, aren't truly our enemies. Stephen rejoices that Paul is now in heaven, even though Paul was there when he was executed unjustly. Paul bore part of that responsibility. And yet Stephen's glad to call him a brother. Those that we call enemies in this world, if we see them in paradise, we will gladly call them brothers and sisters in Christ. We have other enemies, other enemies to mark. Verse 19, God knows even if the world doesn't. God sees David's shame and dishonor and enemies even though the world rejects him. So he looked for pity and comfort, but he found none, no one to console him in his suffering. This could be another good family conversation spot. How do we comfort one another in dark days? How do we build each other up? How do we encourage one another? Being there. Simple presence is a big part of it, as we saw with Job's friends. They did well at first when they just sat with him. They actually got in trouble when they started to open their mouths. If we open our mouths, let us speak the word of God. Let us use God's word to build up our brother or sister in Christ who is suffering. 
to hold one another up. Let us pray together. Let us sing together. Let us point one another to Christ and to the salvation he gives. Now, verse 21, I don't know of a literal time where David had people attempting to poison him. I won't deny it, certainly. He was an ancient king. And this still happens among kings today. But notice how this easily moves forward to Jesus Christ on the cross. John chapter 19, verses 28 and 29, Jesus will declare, I thirst, and they give him sour wine to drink. The next couple of verses, let their table become before them a snare, a trap. Let them be darkened so they cannot see. David prays against the enemy for God's judgment to come upon them. And this is cited by Paul in Romans 11 verses 9 and 10 that Israel failed to attain what it was seeking. And then King David is cited. So judgment, verse 24. And verse 25, make their camp a desolation, wipe them out. This is cited by Peter in his, his conversation with the other apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 20, as they decide how to replace Judas among the twelve. That Judas, would, his camp would be made desolate. They persecute him whom you have struck down. It seems to be David. So David has recognized he is struck down by God because of his sin. There is punishment for sin, consequence. Our bodies break, we fall, we fail. The Lord does, however, bring us through. He uses those sufferings to refine our faith, to strengthen our faith. And yet, while David is down, his enemies jump on the pile. They persecute him even more. And so David prays that God would, in verse 27, add to them punishment upon punishment and blot out their names from the book of the living. So, send them to hell. Do not let them be found in the book of life and live forever. It's a difficult prayer to pray by King David. I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high, restored, exalted, glorified, lifted up. As God would deliver him from the waters that are up to his neck, He's lifted him up, and we would see that paradise. God sets us on high. He brings us to himself. Verses 30 and 31, that God would prefer our praise than our sacrifices. So David is offering his praise to God. When the humble see it, they will be glad. When they see the salvation of the Lord, we rejoice when we celebrate as the church every time we gather, Christ's body and blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, we rejoice, our hearts are revived. The Lord hears our prayers and he does not despise us who are prisoners to sin and death and darkness, but he rescues us. And so all creation, verse 34, will praise him as God saves his people, verse 35, David, at the end of the psalm, hopes for the restoration of Israel. Whatever struggles, whatever darkness they were going through at the time he wrote this hymn. We can see in this the new Jerusalem of Revelation 21 and 22, which is a reference to the church, the bride of Christ, as well as paradise. That God would save us, and he has. That God would give us a land to inherit, to dwell in. That we would be there with him 
forevermore. And in Christ, this is most certainly true. He has redeemed us. He has rescued us. He has called us by name. We are His. Praise me.